Pass the marmalade. <gasps> that is mahogany. Look at you. Just killed a placemat. You really want to know how to stay alive? You get people to like you. Welcome back to the Foodie Dash podcast. I am, as always, Nicholas, and I'm here, not as always, with Lauren. How you doing, Lauren? Hey, I'm doing good. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so we, you and I have gotten kind of, I wouldn't say stuck, but we're very, very, very into talking about role-playing games. And this isn't just because, you know, you and I have long histories with role-playing games, but it's also because there seem to be a lot of broader lessons that we can we can derive from them and today we are going to talk about the sort of strange way in which okay i'll, I'll introduce this differently so i recently read in an article on polygon um, by a young woman who was talking about her experience of playing um, breath of the wild zelda legend of zelda breath of the wild and how Zelda's ex like scripted, very specific, not really very much like a role-playing game experiences in that game actually helped her understand her own struggles and coming out in her own life and being the particular person that she is. And what I found fascinating about that, and I commented on this on Twitter, by the way, our, our Twitter is a footy dash pod. So, you know, go follow us. But I commented on Twitter that what's really interesting to me is that we tend to think of like identity as this thing that we sort of, that is like inherent to us that we sort of create and then manifest in the world very similar to you know the way in which like a lot of especially like western rpgs play where you have a ton of sliders and you can create essentially essentially your your avatar is a blank slate and you can create them from the from you know the bottom up obviously within you know the confines of whatever limits the game imposes but you can pretty much do anything and yet strangely a character, not strangely, in fact, I think this is actually probably true, but then a character whose sort of nature and state and the way they are is pretty much predetermined and just presented to you and in fact, in many ways scripted, like that actually has far more resonance with people and how they see their own lives than the avatar that you can essentially like, that's basically a paper, a complete paper doll. And so I wanted to talk more about that today and sort of the way in which sort of like role-playing in games or from games and sort of had the interaction with your own life and how you understand your own life and the sort of i would i wouldn't call it a perverse interaction because it's not perverse but the sort of interesting interaction that i don't know I, don't, I just don't see a lot of people talk about whenever i see an article or something about it i always read it with this in mind like what exactly is going on here so yeah that's what we're going to talk about today so what do you think about that lauren I think you brought up a lot of interesting points. And for me, when I look at 
kind of the interplay of what is role play. So for example, when you have that character that we talked about that you really identify with, which is Cloud, or it could be like Aerith yeah. or Eris, um, or Erisu, if you are watching all of the yeah, I've always been kind of confused videos. by that by that translation because most it's now commonly translated as Aerith. And like, I think it's still both because it's it's um I don't actually remember what it was in Final Fantasy VII remake, but we can go go into that later. Yeah. But right. even even in the translation, right? People that really identify with that character get really vehement about what she's supposed to be called, right? Yeah. And that's kind of an indication of I mean, just good characterization. When you go all the way back to the ancient Greeks and the Romans and more of like um, the Hellenistic like philosophies on, I guess, like man and woman. And when I say man, I meant like human. Yeah. Um, humanity. You, Yeah, humanity. You are what you were born into, right? So if you were yeah. born into a wealthy family, you were a wealthy person and you were, right, regarded better in society. You were noble. Um, and you see this a lot in a lot of more feudal or like medieval things. If you were born a king's son, you were a prince right? that had a title. And you couldn't just go off and be a commoner because you weren't able to do everything. And so when we look at paper doll philosophy, right, or a you are started as a paper doll and now you can become everything, that is much more recent and as a Western kind of like ideolo uh, ideology. Yeah. Excuse me, tripped over my word there. Um because it's something that is really new. It's something where it doesn't have a caste system. It doesn't have classism. Now, you can obviously right, argue that class systems and a classist-like society still exists, right, based yeah. on socio and economic factors. But at the end of the day, right, people aren't walking around calling themselves princes, right, especially no. in the same type of ratio that we used to have right, where England had four kings, and then every king had lots of sons, and then you could have like 24 princes all within like 30 miles of each other. Or even right? like the various aristocratic layers, like we don't have earls, we don't have dukes, we don't have yep. counts, like, well, I mean, we still have it, them, but they're meaningless now, basically. It, so, exactly, right. Yeah. And it's because class, right, is divided more by, say, wealth. I bring this specifically up, because when you look at, say, characters in video games or characters in any medium, that character and that writer and that storyteller has identified, right, a role, a class, right? And role-playing games, see, now you're, you're kind of getting where I'm going here, yeah. have classes, have roles, right? Are you tank, support, damage? Yeah, yeah. You could be a class that could be a support class, but you are actually, say, a cleric, right? Which is someone who can use maces and wears heavy armor, which yeah. is usually identified with a tank. Yeah. Um, and you can see this through not just the RPGs in um, in tabletop role-playing games, like in Dungeons and Dragons specifically. Yeah. You can also see this right in more of the modern RPG systems we get, like in Path of Exile or Assassin's Creed Valhalla, yeah. where now they're going, are you melee? Are you ranged? Are you stealth? Right? And yeah. all of these different types of um, paper doll mechanics, which are you start as this core and then can become whatever, continue to feel meaningless if the core is actually a character. It already has a role. Yeah. So Eivor is my example for this because Eivor is already a damage-dealing, dual-axe-wielding Viking, right, assassin. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that yeah. starts to interplay <laughs> weirdly, right? You suddenly can't really role-play as Eivor the assassin if you're role-playing as Eivor the Viking, which the game is about. Yeah. 
Um, and I kind of talked about this right when I was talking about why I don't want another Assassin's Creed game. And this is why <laughs> Nicholas is saying we're stuck, right, quote unquote, on RPGs, yeah. is that the RPG as a genre really is the model for how we kind of cope with and identify with who we are as a people. And that's really the heart of this kind of discussion today, because is RPG, right, a model for the lives we want to lead or are our own lives, right, becoming the model of what we yeah. expect in a good role playing game? Yeah, it, it's actually interesting that you you made the connection between sort of this this focus on individualism as a, as a sort of like Western development um, for those of you who are. I keep doing this. I mean, sort of the 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 notion of like the the bourgeois individual, like that that has a historical like that came into existence at a particular historical time, and it and for was... others uh, that are in SF. That's bougie. <laughs> no, no. Okay, so I actually mean, I actually mean bourgeois. I know, in, in I know the, you mean bourgeois, the, but just yeah. so that everyone can modernize it. Is, it is it, it is bougie. bougie. But the reason why it's 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 the, it's bourgeois individualism and not just individualism in general is because the individual rose out of a certain economic class, like the concept of the individual, and that's specifically the the sort of what's usually referred to as the petty bourgeoisie, the sort of the small bourgeois. Because the big bourgeois are like, you know, the counts and the earls and the kings, you know, the people with like, a, you know, the landed gentry, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The small bourgeois are, you know, are essentially like the equivalent of our modern like business owners or, mer or merchants, you know, in the 16th century. People who may or may not have historically come from, say, like, you know, the guild system or were like freehold peasants or were yeomen. But they they had been sort of detached for whatever reason from the existing feudal system and their freeness then allowed them to they, they actually it's not so much that, you know, they, they could be whoever they wanted to be, but they had to forge an individual identity because they were untethered from the, the social system. Like they had to create an identity because the social system was not going to create it for them. It wasn't going to put them in a particular place. And this is very important for video games and especially just game design in general, because I want to think back to a time in my life, right, where I'm in middle school, I'm pretending to be a 16 or 18 year old individual yeah. on these real time chats, right, or also multi user domains known as MUDs. Yep. Um, I was actually into those as well, because I was just into this thing called role play. And it's all text based. And you're on AOL. You're on your or Gaia online. All my fans <laughs> out there, love you. Um, also, Neopets, Jesus. strong Neopets role play community. Some I would old, be on. Old, this is like old internet talk. <laughs> old internet talk, um, and it's important though to look at the old internet talk where I right. It was just text. Yeah. And I was in a situation where I had to identify and come up with my own identity because I moved a lot, and so I didn't have a support network of friends. Yeah. Um, or say extended family members that could be like, Lauren, you are a charismatic leader, individual or whatever. Yeah. Um, I didn't have that. I didn't have people telling me who I was. I had to consistently figure out who that was. And the way I did it, right, was through role play. When we look at video games uh, and MUDs, right, MUDs don't really exist anymore. MMOs exist, no, but they don't really exist to the say, I would say the prevalence of people going onto a website like Gaia Online and just kind of typing and pretending to be like Naruto. Um, yes, they existed. 
They probably still exist. Naruto still. We don't judge. Naruto is still very big. Yeah. Um, but really, you should role play as uh, you know, Itachi. <laughs> Moving on. Um, so we should say that right when we look at our modern video game design, however, players uh, and people, individuals playing these games are looking at these characters and are looking at these paper dolls and avatars, right, that they create. And that is the same way, especially in dialogue choice driven games like Dragon Age or Knights of the Old Republic, which is a little bit older, or even something like I think um, Outer Wilds. Yeah. I think that's the one. Uh, has fantastic dialogue choice. And that's the way, right? People are role playing. But the yeah. limitation now becomes it is not you, right, being able to identify. And you're, you're creating the words, right? Yeah. And say at real-time chat, video games are like, here's this list, right? Of responses yes. and they're systemized. So which systemized of these societally acceptable or unacceptable responses will you choose? And through that action of choosing, you are role-playing an identity. And the question then becomes, like Nicholas was saying, are you role-playing an individual because the game has put you into a place where you are not a part of a society, say Dragon Age Inquisition. You're the Inquisitor, you are not a part of society. You must become an individual because you are outside of it. Yeah. Or are you playing something like Assassin's Creed Valhalla where you are actually very much entrenched in the Viking or society. You are a strong yeah. Viking, you kill everyone, except <laughs> for when you choose all of the good options that save everyone and doesn't behead anybody, And right? You are no longer actually a Viking. Yeah. So it's very, very interesting interplay there. That's really got us, you know, excited to talk about. Well, it's why the the outsider archetype is so common in a lot of games, even if they're not explicitly like role playing games. I mean, you can That's think exactly of say like right. you know the Witcher series, Red Dead Redemption, the reason or like the Fallout games. You're an outlaw precisely because your sort of non status or your lack of like a predetermined position in society is what allows you to roam through the entire world of that game. Because if you think about it, like another character in that same world, they wouldn't necessarily have like, you know, a lot of the NPCs, they're not just fixed to particular places because they've been coded that way. In many ways, they're also fi they're fixed to those places because that is their social status. Like they, they don't have the freedom to move around in the way that say Geralt does because of who Geralt is and because he doesn't really have a place anywhere necessarily to speak of, except for like, you know, the ancestral home of the, et cetera, et cetera. But because he has, it, it's weird, it, it's sort of perverse. Freedom in this sort of like line of thinking comes from being like untethered. In other words, the freedom is not just, it, it, we know, so in the US, you know, we tend to think of freedom in these weirdly, you know, ideological terms. There was like, my freedom, I'm so free, free to do what I want. Um, but the problem is, and I'm going to refer back to one of my favorite philosophers, um, Kierkegaard. Something that Kierkegaard understood is that, like, free, yes, there is great potential in freedom, but there's also great anxiety in freedom. And so the interesting thing, and then the reason why I think this is important for thinking about sort of like these disparate ways of looking at how you do a role-playing game is that it's entirely possible that someone going to that paper doll scenario where instead of like trying to get you immersed in a story, the very first thing that happens is like create a human being. Some people might feel incredibly alienated because it's like that makes me extremely anxious. In fact, I live with a person 
who can't play those games precisely because that makes her anxious. Yeah. So now for homework, everyone, I want you to think about also their favorite manga, your favorite comic book series, TV series, movies, and favorite books, right? And I want, I say books, maybe in books and TV more than movies, because when we look at this kind of philosophy of paper dolls versus, right, patchwork heroes, as I've decided to call them, think about your favorite games and then think about your favorite books. And I say games and books because a book normally doesn't take someone eight hours to read, right? Like a, say, a small TV show. It would take them, it could take you 60 hours to read a book. Um, For comparison, uh, I tend to speed run games and speed run books. And so I finished the longest Harry Potter book in six and a half hours. Jesus. Um, That is Order of the Phoenix. I was super excited. I went to the Midnight Reveal. I got it. I got 12 Krispy Kreme donuts, water, and <laughs> so I you drugged the- yourself. <laughs> I, the- I drugged myself and I got through the whole book, right? Okay. That's that's just how I read. That's how I enjoyed yeah. reading. To be fair, this is actually why I cannot binge watch or why I can binge watch TV shows, why I should not binge watch TV. It's because I want to know the end of the story. This is yeah. why playing really long games is hard for me, but also why I tend to only play really long games. It's because I like the extended characterization and the understanding of what these heroes go through. Yeah. One of my favorite right book series is still Harry Potter. Look at Harry Potter and how he creates his own identity, right? Harry Potter is an outsider. Right. So I just want you guys for homework to go out and look at other types of mediums that aren't games and are like, I keep playing games where everyone's the outsider. Even Dante and Devil May Cry is the outsider. What is a book or TV show that you really enjoy and how do they use the outsider as a way to make you feel a little bit stronger of, say, empathy right to that character? Yeah. And then, you know, conversely, maybe. does your maybe you that isn't your favorite thing right maybe you're watching friends and maybe friends to you isn't an example of the outsider prove us wrong leave some notes subscribe put it in the comments yeah uh, yeah the unusual examples are are always the good ones precisely because they make you think about something in a way that you wouldn't otherwise think about it no absolutely so i actually i have so it's interesting that, that you asked them to do do their homework because i guess i kind of did the homework without even thinking about it so i have, as you should as the <laughs> as one of the teachers here yeah yeah no straight yeah the, the problem is i'm constantly reading and, and watching things and thinking about them in this way it's probably one of the reasons why i'm so miserable all the time is that i'm like mm, I, i'm gonna turn this thing that i love into something that i hate ah no um so recently i've no been watching- i do that too this is why we're friends this is terrible yeah. please so you do the homework <laughs> yeah so um so i have actually recently been watching um a web series of a japanese web series which is actually kind of unusual for japanese media companies called um let's see in japanese it's called tokyo joshizukan which um okay so the title is interesting so you could take it a couple of ways so the tokyo is the city the city of tokyo uh joshi just means woman um, but Joshi specifically refers to a woman who is like, oh, it's it's a it's a weird word in Japanese. It's usually used to refer to women who are like fa- still fairly young. Like you wouldn't refer to like say an eighty year old woman as a Joshi. It would be weird. Um, Probably the prime of her life woman is a great example of the word. Yeah, but also like the Japanese conception of what the prime of your life is is also odd. Anyway, the, the, that is yeah. true. 
But just to give you a, a Western ideology, yeah. that's yeah, probably that, a better that translation. Work. That's a woman in the prime of her life, whether no. she's like 21 or 31 for American Westerns, but yeah. continue. So the, and the Zukan means guide, uh, like, you know, like, like a tour guide, like, or sort of, you know, a guidebook. And so you could take it as sort of like a guide for Tokyo women. Or you can take it as a guide to Tokyo women. And one of the interesting things about the show is that it actually shows you a lot of, I mean, one of the reasons why I really like it is that it shows you a lot of different kinds of people um, and their struggles. And because the thing is, the the show is modeled on, not modeled, but sort of like takes as its, as its presumption that there is, you know, when you're a woman who grew up in the countryside as the main character Aya did, and you move to the big city, there are all these things that you're supposed to want, like things that will define you as sort of like the fully actualized like Japanese woman. And the show takes place over um, Aya's, so she's, she goes from being like 18 to just shy of 40 in the show. And it all goes wrong for her. Like so, sometimes like she has successes, she has failures, but the whole point is that like nothing that actually happens to her fits or conforms to this model of like what a young woman's life is supposed to be. The ideal life doesn't really happen. And so I actually wanted to share a clip with everyone. This is about a minute and a half from the last episode of the show. And I want you guys to pay attention to the way in which like that failure of her life is framed. So let's see, share my scroll. So if you are a native Japanese speaker, please listen to the Japanese. Or yeah. if you also are fluent in Japanese, listen to the Japanese because it provides more texture for what she's really saying. Yeah. If you were reading the subtitles, we're actually going to go into this difference uh, during this podcast. So you'll be okay. Yeah, Slash the subtitles video. are not quite perfect. All right, starting it. Oh, I should read it. Restaurants where it's hard to book a table. A boyfriend working for an ad agency. Fulfilling job. Roppongi Hills. A late night at Virgin Cinema. An overnight trip to Hakone. These are all the things that a woman is supposed to want. An engagement ring from Harry Winston. A happy marriage. The items, important word there, to complete your life. Those women who chose Tokyo as the location to play their game have become the heroines of a role and have collected these items to complete their game. You can read Aya. I don't think I've cut corners at all. I think I've tried quite hard in my own way. And if you look above you, the city of Tokyo seems to be stretching all the way to the blue sky. I feel dizzy just thinking about the beauty and the perfection of the game completed by the women in my generation. All right, so that is the, the whole clip. 
Um, and there are a couple of things we want to point out. Well, I at least I want to point out about the subtitles. So in you can because, say we, it's okay. Yeah, okay, we. <laughs> but I'm gonna but I'm gonna be the one to say it. Uh, yes. So in in Aya's little bit, so that's that's the main character of, of the show, um, Aya, and her little bit at the the end there. What's interesting is that so because of Japanese word order, she actually does something really interesting that doesn't quite come across in the the subtitles. So in the subtitles, it says, you know, I feel dizzy thinking about, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But because of the way Japanese word order works, she says it more like thinking about all of the things that women of my generation have done to, you know, complete their life. And then at the very end of that statement, she says, makes me feel dizzy. So the way it's set up is like, it's really interesting because it's setting you up to think about like, oh, she's... <laughs> she's she's having this sort of moment where she's sort of thinking back on her life and 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 the the music even sort of gets you in the mood of saying like oh well she's looking back and, and but the, but then she says like oh well it kind of made me want to vomit and so it's yeah so it's it's more yeah. like when i think about the generations of women in tokyo who have completed their games i get vertigo yeah yeah that's what she's saying and it's just like and I would add the vertigo is then analogy, and this is this is actually in my in my opinion just not a great translation in the earlier bit. So when she's talking about sort of the way the limits of sort of the skyline seem to merge into the the um, the blue sky above, that's not that's not a kind of ah oh, that that that's you know that, that's not a a sublime feeling that she's describing. She's literally describing the feeling of vertigo, where you actually have no sense of like where the horizon is. That's actually what she's saying. Sorry, Lauren, go ahead. No, I think that's actually a great reading because for me, what's interesting is that you brought up this for us to look at just as kind of like a sidebar of like how they compared an RPG game like mechanic to yeah. kind of the role play of your life, right? And I definitely feel like as a woman, I felt really strongly to that because I do feel that a lot of women feel like there are these ideals that you have to complete and these objectives that you need to complete. And it's not just say gendered. I think that men and non-binary individuals also are going to feel this right. Yeah. Um, especially right. If you're the only man of your family, you probably, if your parents are very family oriented, they're probably like, why don't you have a girlfriend? Where is our son slash daughter grandchild to dote on? Right. And same with like a woman, if your parents are like, why aren't you dating anyone? You always are focused on your career. Where is the boyfriend? Right. Um, and that, those are like two very common examples. So this isn't really there in the clip, but because this is like the, the last episode, anyone watching it would have known that the guy who is speaking, whose name is Takayuki, um, he was the one who kind of was very, very early in the series presented as like the love of her life. But for both of them, their career expectations, in other words, the two of them conforming to what they thought society wanted of them and what society wanted them to want. And again, we get back to this question of like, what does the game make you want? So from their perspectives, like what is society making me want? And then they finally adopt the wanting of those things and it completely screws their relationship. And so here they are, you know, Takayuki, I believe is actually is in his forties and Aya is just shy of 40. And you know, they're at a point in their life where I'm not gonna spoil you know, all the things that happened to them, but they realized that like, wait a minute, like there was this, there was this thing that I could have been, there's this thing that we could have been together 
and it's interesting how like you see them filmed together you know they're, they're cut together in in the episode but they're actually in completely different parts of the city like aya and takoyuki are nowhere near each other and yet sort of the the, the editing kind of mashes them together and the reason why is because like their lives and sort of conforming to this way that they thought they were supposed to be has separated them but in many ways now sort of the the logic of like the romantic arc of the the show is trying to literally like suture them back together so, yeah so, so go let's ahead. yeah so let's go ahead and let's kind of break down this model right of so storytelling right yeah. And this is a very simple concept in all stories, but we're going to go very specific to this episode clip that you either just watched or heard us kind of radio show narrate. <laughs> um, and we're also then going to talk about this as if it was a game, right? So you're going to have two different areas of ex kind of, of experience here. In the clip, the society that the TV show brings up to you is one where women, right, want engagement rings. They want the ideal marriage. They're going to have a stable career let's just call those the three items. Those are the key items that you need to have in your They're life. They're the quest items, really. They're really the quest items. Yeah. And obviously you get the engagement ring before you get the marriage, right? And you get the career, hopefully, right before the marriage. Yeah. Let's just say that those are the quest order. Acquire an engagement ring. Well, what do you have to do to get an engagement ring? You need, right, the boyfriend. So now if you looked at this, and let's just translate this to a game, you're playing a dating sim, right? You got to yeah. date men to find one that I guess you may or may not like, right? Yeah. And then you pursue that man until he pops out this really expensive, um, like, that's a great engagement ring, by the way, yeah. um, an engagement ring. And then once you get the engagement ring, you accept it. And you're like, sweet, now I can get a marriage. But then obviously, right, what do you need to do to get the marriage? Well, plan the wedding, other nonsense that yeah. comes with planning a marriage. Go Obviously, I haven't house. given as much thought. Thank this you. <laughs> uh, Lauren's like, uh, plan the marriage. Yeah. There are marriage Maybe you should ask the here. one who actually is married to explain this. <laughs> yes. Uh, so give me give me three steps to uh, prepare for a marriage, married man. <laughs> well, it's interesting because, okay, in many ways, like, he, he, if we're looking at this from a storytelling perspective, like, you could actually have branching paths here. You could have the kind of marriage where, yeah, it literally is you just, like, elope, you run off to a justice of the peace, you know, you get married in a courthouse, and then, you know, the, the, the two of you live your life together. Okay. But the thing is, and what what my wife and I actually realized is that like the the whole like marriage event is actually for like your family and the broader society. It's a way to sort of like incorporate your marriage into sort of this like pre-existing social system that you have. All right. So when we look at that pre-existing social system, yeah. right? You can say it's a pre-existing social system because you already live in a society which creates the experience. Yep. When I say storytelling, all of those quests or branching paths you want to take are the story that you tell yourself as the player. Yep. And so that system, right, of our real world, okay, those are the items that you need. Those are the paths, so the progression paths with branching choices that you need to take in the real world. Yeah. If you have never thought about your real world and a concept of a role-playing game, I'm sorry to have completely broken everything in your life. It has <laughs> just been an RPG this entire time where you've yep. collected quest items, yep. look around your room, see what you feel like is a key item. If there was a fire that just immediately broke out and you don't have pets, just assume your pet's with you because everyone that has a pet is going to grab their pet first. 
So say a fire were to break out, what's the thing that you would grab? You can even go two or three if you feel like you can carry like your PlayStation 5 with like a couple games or something. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's fine. I'll, I'll accept that. But you obviously, right, couldn't take your bed. So I bring that up as an example because that's actually what we do in video games. Yep. A video game studio and all of its developers are just a fire. And all of the features <laughs> are our quest items. And we have to go, which wow. quest item are we going to take with us when we ship this game, which is just getting GTFO out the door. Every okay? game studio is a fire is now going to be on, <laughs> on a t-shirt. Every game studio is just a fire. No, but it's true. Yeah. And when you look at a role-playing game, what are the dialogue options we give you as a player? Right? Because what is that fire? What is our pre-existing scenario yep. and experience that mm -hmm. we want the players. I really talk a lot about this on Twitter slash I hear a lot of people talk about it where they really can't make games apolitical. And it's because the culture in which the game is produced is going to create an experience and an ideal that players are going to want to go into. And this yep. is in every single game genre, whether it's a battle royale or an RPG, right? Is there's going to be a path to victory yep yeah no um it's it's interesting because it, so this this actually i, I want to bring up um another really great polygon article by um what is their name kazuma hashimoto i believe is their name um wrote about sort of the the genre of like you know samurai hack and slash games and that something that you know a lot of people in the west don't realize is that like that whole ideology of bushido and like all that samurai crap is very closely linked in japan to like hard right politics and so the thing is but we you know outside of japan we don't necessarily have that experience because we don't see that sort of connection on a day-to-day -day basis but if you're actually living in japan it's much harder to sort of like present just an ordinary like samurai narrative as if it were completely apolitical precisely because like, you know, on TV and, you know, in the sort of political discourse, you have people using those ideas and those values and that idea of Japanese-ness as a cudgel against their political enemies. And those are the sorts of things that people have to be aware of. Or like when you're like, you know, I mean, sort of the, the hackneyed example of this would be, let's say, like the Call of Duty games, which are very clearly like derived from a certain like imperialist uh, militaristic mindset that is very like gung-ho American government. Yay, everything is great. We're, you know, we're the good guys. We're not the good guys, by the way. <laughs> no one actually no one's the good guys is the correct answer. However, with a game like, say, Zelda it might actually be harder to see what the ideology is. Or with a game like Animal Crossing, it might actually be really, but there is an ideology there. And it's precisely what Lauren is saying. The only way to see what that ideology is, is to actually look at the way the game maps onto the social circumstances of your real life. And so it's actually bad to sort of like hold them separate precisely because if you do, you're never going to see that. Absolutely. And like, let's look at a game where people are probably like, it is completely apolitical. There is no societal ideology in it whatsoever. And it's a battle royale that we all know and love or love to hate Fortnite. <laughs> right? Yeah. Fortnite is a great example and not PUBG. All right. Which is a uh, player unknowns battlegrounds, yeah. not PUBG. Um, because Fortnite has done something really interesting in their latest season with the launch of The Mandalorian. 
skin, uh, which is basically a costume. So you can dress up as Mando and get like the child as a pet if you complete the season or whatever. And Fortnite is a great example because it's a game that started out as a tower defense game. Yeah. Where you had to build freely like all these structures and then defend your tower. And then after, right, your tower got destroyed, you were kind of eliminated. Yeah. They then, after PUBG, were like, well, what if we made battle like Battle Royale. That sounds fun. And it exploded because with the addition of you can build all of these things and create your own play space, plus right now just shoot everybody and survive, Yeah. right? That became a really compelling gameplay mechanic. But the ideology of Fortnite and of all Battle Royales is still, um, it's still very heavily in that sort of um, genre of you put all of the children into a city and then say, okay, Right now, murder everybody until you're the last one. For those of you that are yeah. very uh, are JRPG fans and mm-hmm. JRPG and scare quotes now, um, you'll remember Danganronpa, right, where everyone is getting murdered and you kind of have to kind of figure out who the murderer is until right until you get it. But Battle Royale is actually incredibly bloody. You are killing people, and so yeah. I bring this up, okay, because Fortnite's very cartoony. Fortnite's really beloved, and a lot of people don't play Fortnite to kill people that's not what they would say i play fortnite to kill people i mean and if you're playing call of duty they wouldn't say that either right they're defending the country right defending their honor but i bring up fortnite because in the latest season trailer when they bring in mandalorian and maybe this isn't the latest maybe it's the the old one that they've mashed up but there's a guy in a call center who gets a call that's like hey we need the heroes of like the next generation to come and save us because the ring is closing and we have to get there before the ring closes. And I'm like, okay, that's a narrative rapper, right? Because now they're trying to put on some sort of ideology yeah. to Fortnite, to the gameplay mechanic, because it didn't have one, but it did, right? Yeah. Kill everybody and survive. That's not a bad ideology. It's just the ideology, kill everybody and survive. Yeah. The world is closing in around you. The only way to survive is to kill everyone. Then Fortnite made it cartoony. And suddenly they're like, wait, this isn't a message we want to be teaching our kids. Because why else would they go, call the heroes of the universe. The ring is closing. Only one of you can truly survive to be the hero of yeah. this game. Yeah. Why would you right, put on this narrative wrapper? Why is narrative wrapping in these cinematic trailers so important to an industry if it's just a game it's because the game developers and the game studio and honestly the players recognize that there is some sort of message in this and it's not just marketing it really isn't if you play enough of these games right you're going to kind of see that ideology in them and so while fortnite seems to and i wouldn't actually say to be fair that fortnite was about killing people because it was originally about building a home and like a tower defense like yeah. system and so it, it needed this narrative wrapping or whatever but the one they chose was based around the ideology of the west which is what it's really popular right now yeah. superheroes yeah they didn't say oh um you know if we were in a world where we felt like we needed to survive and the way to do that was to hurt people they would have created a narrative wrapper that was like everyone is out to get you yeah. You are the only person, Mr. Call Center Jeffers, that <laughs> I don't know, I don't remember his name. Yeah. You, Sir Jeffers, are the only person that can truly save us and everyone else is here to stop you. Yeah. 
Like they can't, that's not their narrative wrapper. And also it doesn't work with their marketing because they also got Mando and Mando isn't Sir Jeffers. Everyone's out to get you. Actually, Mando is actually like that. That would have actually worked for Mandalorian, but um, I don't know. Let's, I don't know other skins, but other skins that they have. <laughs> so so I, there, there are a couple of things I want to add. One, the first thing that you, that you should note is that the argument we're not making is sort of like the, the hackneyed reactionary one. It's like, oh, video games are bad for you and they're going to turn you into a bad human being. That's not really what we're talking about. What we're trying to get you to understand is that there are like, in many ways, there's kind of like a political unconscious in these things. And actually, I can, in fact, the second thing that I wanted to add, we actually dovetails nicely into the battle royale like the the battle royale is the thing that you know goes back way 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 back in history but the sort of the media conception of the battle royale that we see nowadays is very closely tied to a very very famous media property called believe it or not battle royale <laughs> and what's interesting is that if you look at the its japanese iteration particularly the manga and then it was adapted into a couple of films and I think the films are what most people are familiar with, not the manga. But what's interesting is that in that, the the political context is very clear because you have a bunch of like, you know, early, you know, mid-teens children, essentially, who are school children who are compelled by the state in which they live to basically murder each other in this way, regardless of whether or not they want to. And the Battle Royale manga and the manga creator is very specific about this. This is for him a metaphor to describe the Japanese educational system. And you see this a lot in like shonen manga, particularly from like the early 2000s, throughout the 2000s. And you, you see it in Attack on Titan until it became extremely fashy for reasons. I mean, you see it in a really great manga called um, Assassination Classroom, where the, the sort of ridiculous premise is actually a way to think about the way in which the society at large is actually compelling young people to brutalize each other. And so the thing is, even though in the case of Fortnite, and particularly, you know, the Battle Royale version of Fortnite, or even in a game like PUBG, it's easier for someone, say, in the West, perhaps, to feel how disconnected that is from their reality, precisely because they don't have you know, they don't have that Japanese educational system surrounding them, treating them in the same way that the game is forcing them to be. Although, interestingly enough, you can also look at sort of that ideological overlay as a way for someone to, I guess you could say, relieve themselves of the anxiety of the social pressures that they feel. In other words, by taking that same ideological framework and putting it in a game and putting it into a system where you can win it in a way that you can't really win it in your own life that empowers you in a really interesting way and that's why i think it's really important that we stress that we're not making an argument that like you know games will turn you into a bad person but you need to see these sorts of things to sort of see what they're doing to you and alternatively what you and your life can do with them yeah and actually that's a great example of just any say let's call them a first person or third person shooters or just games in general to be honest is that well before I go into that, I do want to go in to everyone out there that is going, Lauren, why didn't you say Hunger Games when you obviously <laughs> were referencing it? My yeah. bad. I completely forgot about it. Second, <laughs> I'm really glad you said that it was Battle Royale was the name of the manga and the movie because in my explanation, I was trying to remember what I had referenced. Yeah. My brain 
was like, it obviously isn't called Battle Royale, Lauren. Don't just no, say it obviously the movie is. Battle Royale. And it obviously was. <laughs> so that makes me feel a little bit better because my brain was doubting my No, no, my you're words. right. Actually, the second one was called Battle Royale 2, so it wasn't literally Oh, you're right. I apologize. Obviously, me only seeing the sequel. Yeah. <laughs> this is really important. And I want you to think about this as well as you just say, just you just play shooters, right? Or you just play these games with your friends. It is a way for you to relieve a lot of anxiety. The most anxious person, people, persons, persons, people, um, that's going to be fun to have on the podcast. Um, <laughs> most anxious people I know really enjoy playing shooters because it is a really great way for them to relieve anxiety and to win in scenarios by understanding and getting identifiable, easy to grasp mechanics for them and then are able to execute on those. And when they do it perfectly, they get a good score and they get immediate feedback, right? Yeah. A lot of the times when we talk about the feedback loop of games, they're like, when do I get my reward? And getting a headshot in a first person shooter instantly kills someone, that's amazing, or defeats them, or, or however you wanna wrap it, Yeah. right? And the, while the wrapping is really important, the core value of an anxiety-driven gamer is to relieve that anxiety. Yeah. I can't really play shooters because it's not that I don't have anxieties. I do. It's just it is very anxious and anxiety-inducing for me to play a shooter. Yeah. Now, I did play Cyberpunk 2077. I absolutely loved it. I really didn't have to fire my gun once to play it. Um, and that made me realize that it's not about the, say, first-person perspective of a game but that the mechanics and the system in which the game rewards its players, right? And encourages you to role play, yeah. right? And identify with whatever that avatar or character is, is really important to me as a player. And so definitely go out, look for other mediums that you enjoy, such as TV shows, books, right? Anime, manga, movies. We have to just keep getting this further and further as we get more global influences, Nicholas, because movies and tv is the same as and books is the same as saying like anime and manga and comics <laughs> um yeah and in, in many ways uh, sort of welcome to america you're free to choose between <laughs> all of these words yeah so actually i think that's probably but, yeah sorry go ahead i just wanted to say so please go out look for those things look at where things are the outsider right do you identify as an outsider in your own life is that why you're drawn to them yep. or look at things that you do enjoy and if you feel like there are no outsider qualities did you grow up in the same place for your entire life have you never been an outsider yeah. right and so maybe that's why you don't so kind of look at those parallels and then look at the game systems that you enjoy and kind of understand why you enjoy them and for me, I love World of Warcraft, and it is very easy for me to say that I really just like hitting one, two, three over and over again, because I know what to expect. I always yeah. get great feedback. I level up, and then I get to do it all over again for another like 20 hours. And honestly, that, that I love it. So even if that's your answer, right? But all it is is find an answer. Please leave a comment below in the video. Like and subscribe to the podcast. And Follow us on Twitter. You. Yell also on Twitter. on Twitter. Yeah, yell, yell at us, at us on, Twitter. on Twitter. We're actually always on Twitter, ish. Yeah, kind of. Um, kinda. But but <laughs> if you yell at us on Twitter, we will be more on Twitter for you. So at FoodieDashiPod yeah. on Twitter, you will see our links right in the video description and in the podcast as well. So please give us a shout out.